Hello there, this is Ray, and this is the Rainbow Talk podcast, where we look at some of the best bits that went out in the week. Here's DK speaking to Skipper from Rainbow Identity Association. JSA Radio, where you are family, this is DK Sibanda, and I'm talking to Skipper Mukhapi from Botswana. Can you please tell us about your organization, when it started, why, and what's your main focus? I work for an organization called Rainbow Identity Association which is an organization that advocates for human rights of people who identifies as transgender and or intersex. Uh, the organization started in 2008 and was legally registered with the Botswana Registry of Societies in 2010 in December. Because we know that the, the content is different, the context is different from Yamo South Africa, Ilego, Botswana. Is it legal to be gay or lesbian or trans in Botswana? And how is it like to advocate for LGBTIQ rights in Botswana? The context, yes, is different. Uh, but um, I would like just, just like to clarify one thing. Uh, our organization focuses only on two parts of the acronym LGBTI. We only focus on the the I. So our advocacy focuses on T and I um, because we are, we believe to be focusing on gender and the biological makeup rather than sexual orientation. So for us, we are interested on who you are. As in, when you walk in, what do I see? Do I see female, male, or non-binary? Or your biological makeup was neither a boy or a girl. So we are not interested on who you are sexually attracted to. So, but I want to unpack this for listeners in South Africa. Yes. Is it legal? In terms of the legality, um, Rainbow Identity Association is legally registered in 2010. And because we are focusing on the TDMI, that is why we were able to register before the Habibo, and we did not have to go to court. That's the difference because Habibo focuses on sexual orientation, therefore they had to go and argue their registration in court. So it is not illegal LGBTI in Botswana. There is no clause that criminalizes one for being transgender or being gay. There is no clause that criminalizes that. But the penal code like any other country that uh, in the southern that criminal that sort of criminalize same sex is the same clause that is used here in Botswana which says uh, carnal knowledge against the order of name skipper i need you to unpack this because i know you're working with the t and the i right but that doesn't mean your politics are exclusive right am i getting this correct or we are exclusive because we believe that sexual orientation, we believe that sexual orientation can be covered by another organization. Okay, so when I mean inclusive in terms of solidarity, so does it mean if a lesbian woman who is being beaten can? We are in solidarity. Yes, we work closely with the organization, the, the organization that works with, with with sexual orientation. But as an organization, we are not doing any work in relation to sexual orientation. Okay, so tell me about the programs that you have in your organization. Okay, we have four pillars. 
we have advocacy, which is the main one. We do advocacy. We do research and documentation. We do sports and recreation. And then we have parallel. For so is your organization a membership-based uh, organization or? Yes, we do have individual members and we also have uh, groups or institutional membership. So you can affiliate as an organization or as a group of support group. So as an organization, when we talk about individual membership, you don't necessarily have to identify as trans or intersex. We have different groups. When you join, you will be taken through the groups where you then decide which group you fall under. We have a group of trans women, trans men, intersex, both men and women and none, uh, but identifying that uh, we work with trans men, trans women, gender non-conforming, intersex, friends, partners and uh, partners and family members of trans and intersex persons. How do you relate with other organizations in terms of intersectionalities and linkages of, of, of issues? Like I said, our focus is the TMI. So we work closely with the gender movements because we believe that our issues mainly fall within the area of gender. So that's our entry point to work with women's movement, men's sector, and LGBTI organizations. How can people get hold of you if they want to know more information about Rainbow Identity Association? You can follow us on Facebook. We are called Rainbow Identity. And then you can also follow us on blog. We are called Rainbow Identity um, BW. And you can also follow us on www.rainbowidentityassociationbotswana. Uh, that's where you can find us. Or you can email us on rainbowidentityid at aol.com. KSA Radio, where you are family. This is DK Sibanda, and I was talking to Skipper Mukhapi from Botswana organization called Rainbow Identity Association. DK spoke to Tozamile Ngenelwa about PFSA. KSA Radio, where you are family. My name is DK Sibanda, and I'm talking to Tozamile Ngenelwa. And we are talking about today PIFSEC, Parents, Families, and Friends of South African Queers. Can you please tell us about this lovely organization, how it started, when, and why? We at PIFSEC normally say that when a child comes out to their parents, the parent automatically goes into the closet. And us saying that, we're saying that we as queer people also need to understand the fact that our parents do not understand our identity. They understand that there are queer people out there, but they don't necessarily understand our identities and our politics. So what we try to do is we have a core group of parents, which we've held workshops with and created spaces for them to come and have conversations and learn about gender diversity, about sexual orientation and gender identity so that they can be advocates in their spaces. So we try by all means to that core group of parents to parents that lack the understanding or the knowledge of, of, of queer politics or people or identities. So with that, it's easier for a parent to speak to another parent regarding certain issues. Unlike me having to go to a parent and say, this is what it is and this is how it is. It normally doesn't work because of the age gap and the two different eras and generations that we grow up under. 
So we try our own means bring in the parents to come in, the ones that we've already given workshops to and have the knowledge of sexual identity and gender identity and sexual orientation to come in, have conversations with the parents and try to make the, the process of acceptance easier. So we have seen a lot of young LGBTIQ plus persons being chased from home by their parents. How do you intervene or support in such cases? Looking at the fact that uh, this is a big issue in South Africa and in other countries, coming out is so hard. Our parents do not want to acknowledge or respect the fact that we are queer people. So can you kindly maybe take me through that? As I said, one of our components that we work with as PFSEC is is the youth. And we also work with allies as well. When we work with the youth, the youth are the people that basically bring in their parents to, to the spaces that we try to have. And not all of those parents are, have accepted their child's sexual orientation or gender identity. So with that, we are bringing in those parents and we are bringing in parents that have accepted their child's sexuality. So with that, it gives them a platform and a space to hear narratives from other the parents to hear how other parents have conquered the fear of having a child that is so-called not normal and that has worked very much for us and also having working with allies like we have a board member Umam Zodwa, who does not have a child that identifies as queer, who is not queer herself and who is an environmental activist, bringing her into that space and her not having any ties with queer identities, so to say, it makes it easier and parents start understanding it better because if a parent who does not have a child that is queer or is not queer herself comes into a space and says that irregardless of your sexual orientation, irregardless of your gender identity, you are still my child. Irregardless of what the community is or what the community says, you always can find solace and shelter in my house. That is a very, it's, it's huge, it's big, and it shows the level of understanding and appreciation that some parents have for kids. So it also brings light to those parents who said, I don't understand what this is, to say that at the end of it, regardless of everything, love conquers all. Do you guys perhaps uh, work in schools or planning to, if not why? Yes, we are planning to. We, we're not working with schools as yet because even though the organization was founded in 2013, we've only started getting funding last year through the other foundation and it has limited our activities to, to certain things so that we can build this core group of parents so that they can be advocates, public advocates for that in spaces. So yes, we do have plans of going into schools and working with schools and working with people that work with children basically because in a lot of instances they are the ones that also perpetuate homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, intersex phobia because of their also lack of understanding so yes, we are planning on working with schools. It's going to be a tricky one though, but yes, we're planning on going there. On what age do you start working with young kids? 
We can work with kids from any age as long as the child has come to understand their sexual orientation and gender identity and says to us that I need your intervention in some sort of way. Then we will intervene because at the end of the day, we have to look out for the child because there's a lot going on right now. There's anxieties, there's depression, and those things do not go with age. Anyone can be can have depression, anyone can go through anxiety. So we try as much, even if they are 12 years old, as long as the child has accepted their sexual orientation or gender identity and then wants us to intervene or help out, then we, we are more than willing and happy to do that. So uh, tell me, how can one be involved or support PIFSEC? Well, we urge parents and young people to, to come and join PIFSEC. You can get a hold of us through Facebook. We have a Facebook page. It's PFSAC, P-F-S-A-Q, Parents, Families and Friends of South African Affairs. You can always send us an email at pfsec 2013 at mail.com and just reach out to us and tell us how you would want to be involved and what you will be bringing in. We are more than happy to build this movement because we came into this movement wanting to build it. So anyone can come, anyone can reach out, whether you are queer, whether you are heterosexual, whether you are trans, non-binary, gender queer, androgynous, what not? Plus, 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 we are more than happy to have you as long as you are a human being that respects other people and loves other people and is willing to work with other people. That for me is what a decent human being is. GSA Radio, where you are family. This is DK Sibanda and I was talking to Tozamile Ngenelwa from PIFSEC, parents, families and friends of South African queers. And here's another one from DK speaking to Sia Chama Production about the lit documentary. GSA Radio, where you are family. This is DK Sibanda and I'm talking to Sia Nduli from the Sia Chama Productions. She produced a documentary on lesbian, intersex and transgender persons. So Sia, can you please take us through the Sia Chama production and your contribution in the LGBTIQ plus community? Sia Chama Production is a company that I started three years ago and I wanted to actually focus on stories that are LGBTI plus stories and shooting documentaries, show stories, web services. So under that production, I have shot a documentary called Let the Documentary. So it focuses, like you said, on persons of intersex, lesbian and transgender. So you have done a documentary called Let. Is it your first documentary that you've done on LGBTIQ narratives? or? Yes, actually, Let Documentary is the first documentary I've done. So it's like my baby, you know, the only contribution so far that I have for the LGBTI community. Before that, I just used to shoot a lot of LGBTI people just taking portraits and getting my photographical skills out there. So, yeah. So Lit Documentary is the first production that I've done. Okay. So what are you hoping to achieve through this uh, film production and who are you targeting like your audience? What I hope the documentary does is uh, the documentary is very educational. It is for LGBTI people, but I feel like when we do documentaries like this or films or group discussion, it shouldn't just be about LGBTI, but it, we need to include the heterosexuals and allies. So that's I personally wanted documentary to do. As much as like I know a majority of people that are going to want to come see the documentary are LGBTI+, plus, but the goal is for it to reach like the heterosexual spaces because that's where we need to get the change from. 
So there's no point telling another person that I'm lesbian when they're lesbian. You know, it's, it's something else telling someone who's straight or someone who's open-minded so that the questions and the conversation starts from there. You know, so that's why like the, the documentary for me is really important because it's very, it touches on like educational. So not only do you also learn within the LGBTI spaces, but I'm hoping like it can reach like the heterosexual spaces as well. What is it about? It's a story about uh, Karabu who's transitioning from female to male. And with sub-stories of Siabonga, who's lesbian, and uh, Mazed, who's intersex. So it's just the whole process of Karabo, basically. Because if I can say it, it's 70% about Karabo's transitioning story. And we just feature as lesbians and intersex because we all friends. So it's just, and then we, we touch on the religion part. Because like people like to use their religion to get to the LGBTI people to say who we are and what we are is not what's written on the Bible. So we, we pose such questions and documentary. And also we involve our parents to get their angle as to how do they feel as parents or like aunts that they have like gay children or lesbian children or, or uh, children that are transitioning. So it's not just a one-dimensional documentary. It, it branches out, basically. It branches out to all these sub-stories that you can pick up from. Not only is it Garabo transitioning, but you touch on the parents, you touch on religion. You know what I mean? So it, for me, it's maybe I'm biased because of my documentary, but like it's a very powerful documentary. Like, And I will ask everyone to try and come out to the screenings when they are out, you know. When are the screenings and how many screenings have you done so far and where? We started the documentary in 2016. So we've screened in and around uh, Joburg and Pretoria in 2016. Then, unfortunately, last year, I lost my brother, so I was a bit depressed. We didn't do anything. So like then I picked it up this year. So we actually screening at Vets University today. And then on the 31st of uh, August, we're going back to Soweto. So I feel like also with the screenings, it makes more sense to screen them in the hoods, you know, because that's where a lot of like correctional rapes happen or like the killings happen. So the more people actually know and they are aware and they're interested in the information. And then later on in October, we're screening in Kailicha in Cape Town. Basically with the documentary, I self-funded it. I produced it. I shot it. I edited it. I got help from like few friends that I work with to help me with sound and final mixing. But so even with the screenings, like it works out when we get someone who can accommodate us to screen so that we don't pay extra money to have it screened. Just like how VEDS has organized for us to come with because it's their pride week. So that's how we ended up coming. We're going to, to screen at VEDS. With Soweto, it's like friends saying, no, come, I have a place. Like, come through. So we bring the documentary. With Cape Town, it's talking and begging people, but finally got a CV Center to agree to host us. So we must just take ourselves to Cape Town. It's basically that. After the screenings, you have like discussions or dialogues or it's just a screen screening and then people can go home what is the idea around that so what we do after the screening we offer like q and a's because like after you watch the documentary you have so many questions so then the three of us we will be available for for question and answer so it becomes like a q and a then afterwards then we can just interact within ourselves so sia as a queer black woman who is in the media industry what are some of the challenges you are facing and would you say this happens because of your sexual orientation or it's a matter of being a woman in general? The challenges I've faced being in the media industries, it has a lot to do with the fact that I'm a woman. I don't think my sexuality had anything to do with it. Like even in this present time, we women are still overlooked and our mind, people don't think we can do the job. So then add on the fact that I'm lesbian. I came out when I was 18. 
even when I started working, like I never had to out myself or come out or whatever. The challenges have just been the fact that I've been a woman, you know, and especially the industry that I work in. I work in the sports industry, so it's very male dominated. So when I started, it was white male dominated. Then during the course of my career, it became very men, black, white, colored, Indian, all the races dominated. It's still a bit challenging because there's few of us within the sports industries that are women, you know, so there's still challenges because then you get to a shoot and People look at you and they see that you're a girl and already they just have their own ideas that the perception that you probably don't know what you're doing or like what is she doing? Why can't she be at the desk like sending emails or whatever? And I'm one person I never have to announce myself to say, okay, I'm Sia, I've done this. I just let my work do the talking, you know. So when I, if you're interested to find out who I am, you'll find out who I am. Like, I don't need to get there and tell you that I've covered two Olympics. I've traveled all over the world. So I do not need to say that to you. When I, if you're interested, you will find out. What message can you send to young queer women who are in the industry as well, who are still, you know, trying to make it? Be passionate about what you're doing. Don't go with the trends. I know now everyone wants to be a photographer, DJ, this, because it seems popular. But just know what you want and love what you want to do. Be passionate about it so that... Because it's really challenging and it's very demanding. So that like when the challenges come, you know why you're in it and you'll be able to come out of them. Instead of like doing it for popularity and whatever, then you find that it's really challenging, the, like the waking hours, the traveling or people undermining you, then you will personalize it. Whereby like if you were doing it for the right reason, you will know that this is what I want to do and I will excel in it, you know, and take your craft very, very seriously. You know, you never know who's watching you. That's my personal message to all the women in general, not just queer women. Yeah. If people want to get a hold of you, where can they contact you? Maybe if they want to partner with you in some of the films or documentaries that they are doing, where can they get hold of you? So I'm very active on social media on all platforms from Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And my handles are Sia Chamanduli for Facebook and Instagram. And Twitter is Sia underscore Chama. Send me a DM, inbox me. I'll give you my email. I'm still working on a website for Sia Chama Productions. So far, you can just email me on siachamaprods at gmail.com. So it's S-I-Y-A-C-H-A-R-M-E-R-P-R-O-D-S at gmail.com. Gay SA Radio, where you are family, this is DK Sibanda, and I was talking to Sia Anduli about her production, her film that she did with lesbian, intersex, and trans persons. DK spoke to Nzope about Egoro Lemi Pride. Gay SA Radio, where you are family, this is DK Sibanda, and I'm talking to Nzope Mohabi from Epoch in Ekuruleni. Can you please tell us about EPOC, what it stands for, and what is EPOC? When it was started, how and why? EPOC is Ekuruleni Pride Organizing Committee. It's an organization which started in 2009. At first, the aim of the organization, hence the name Ekuruleni Pride Organizing Committee, was to organize a walk, sort of an awareness campaign, after the murder of Yudis Melan and Okelin in Guatemala. So we wanted to start a walk. Uh, I remember the first walk was in 2009. So it was walk against hate crime, where we, we wanted to sensitize the community because Guatemala was a very, you know, gay-friendly township before those murders. Yeah, so hence we didn't change the name and we realized that there were more challenges for LGBTI community 
in Eguruleni. So we, we formed an organization and didn't change the name. So you have Pride coming soon. Please take us through the preparations. When, where, and because I know that Eguruleni Pride, it rotates every year. Can you also maybe, yeah, take us through that? Which townships have you already hosted Ekuruleni Pride? Yeah, Pride rotates. It started in Guatemala, as I said. So we've been uh, to Fosloras, we've been to Takane, we've been to Jamestown. Mostly we've been in Guatemala, but that is changing now because this year it's our 10th anniversary, actually, for Ekuruleni Pride, yes. So we're taking it to, to Tembisa for the first time. It will be in Mutsi Park. It will be on the 8th of September. We're starting at 9 and then we end at 6. The activities that we are planning there, this time we are, we, we, we are really trying to change the concept of pride and you know trying to do different things so that we don't lose the vision and why the pride was started in the first place. So we're changing that. We're starting with the, the door-to-door campaign instead of in March this time so nearby there's an informal settlement around so we're going to do door-to-door campaign which is an awareness campaign also we, we're going to be distributing pamphlets to the families and also inviting them to come and join us so we're hoping people will come early so that there's a lot of us doing that door-to-door campaign after the door-to-door campaign at about 11 we'll be having a dialogue we've got panelists lgbtiq panelists who'll be there including steve litike dr love glenda mozenda pastor Debu Miema. and we'll be focusing our topic for the day is intimate violence you know in, in same-sex relationships i think that will also cover issues of substance abuse you know, alcohol abuse, and we're hoping we'll learn a lot and also comment on other issues. After that, we'll be having festivities where we have performers coming in and also exhibitions and uh, health services where there will be mobile clinics for HIV, AIDS testing, TB screening and STI screenings. Do you think it's still necessary to for us to have pride? I think it is necessary. If we can keep to why it started. You remember our first pride in Houting, which Glow organized the pride. is someone going and bear. Even though we had the constitution after that, you know, uh, which protects the rights of LGBTIs, but still we are not there yet. You know, uh, many issues and many challenges have come up after that pride. I still think there's a lot to address. Gender-based violence, you know, these, these corrective rapes, the, the hate crime. So I feel good. We need this pride, especially for awareness purposes. We need to be part of the community, invite the community, share our challenges with the community, ask for the community's support. You know, because when we do in our organization, when we do community dialogues, so we found that there's a lack of information from the community. There's a lack of information from our parents of what is to be a homosexual. There's negative vibes, you know, when we talk about gays, lesbians, transgender, intersex. So we really need to teach the community. We need those messages, those black cards. They are very important when we march. It's just that our community, especially the younger generations of LGBTIQ, they need to know and, and, and be educated on what pride is and what are we planning to achieve when we do these prides. Not taking away that we need to socialize. That's another part of pride. We, we cannot say we won't socialize. We will. But at first, we also have to do this program. So we still need to, to have fun, you know, <laughs> responsibly, while also pushing our agenda. What makes the Ekuruleni Pride different from the mainstream Pride? 
like your Jobek Pride, the one in Sentin? I think it's different because we're really lobbying in the community members. We never do Pride without, you know, inviting other NGOs who are not LGBTIQ NGOs. We're trying to get the religious forums, traditional leaders, you know, the tavern owners to be involved. We're lobbying in the community. And I think we still have pushing the political issues in our Pride. So I think it's different in that way. Yeah, I think for me, it's more of awareness. So we cannot do it alone. We cannot be just LGBTIs coming in, talking about the issues that we already know and the challenges without somebody listening. We need people to come and listen and be converted. You know, uh, we, we need the support. KSA Radio, where you are family, this is DK Sibanda, and I was talking to Untsupe Muhapi from Epoch, LGBTIQ+, organization in Ekurulene. Don't forget to catch Rainbow Talk every weekday between 12 and 3 p.m. South African Standard Time right here on Gay SA Radio, where you are family.